I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In this episode, Matt talks about communicating our need in our relationships and how we do that in different situations. Hey everyone, uh, welcome. It is just me, just Matt this week, and I wish Jenna was here because I'm really uh, out of it and tired because we got a new pet this week, um, and I found out it's the loudest pet in existence, um, which is really upsetting. It's called a trumpet. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, just kidding. Uh, I did not get a pet. That was the joke. Welcome to episode 37. As I said, it's just me this week, no Jenna. Um, Jenna is off to Hawaii with her family on a much-deserved vacation, Uh, so be praying for safe travels for her and her family. Um, And first trip, big trip with Adelaide, um, and so that everything would go well um, for them on that. So, um, peak pit and plug for me this week. I'm going to do them in reverse order, actually. Um, So, plug is um, I was listening to uh, a podcast by uh, Jimmy Aiken um, on his Mysterious World podcast that I think I've recommended before. Um, But in the podcast, he recommended a documentary called That Sugar Film, and it's on Amazon Prime if you have a Prime membership. And it's all about how no matter how many calories you eat, the content of those calories, um, if it uses any type of sugar, how it affects your body, Um, And so it's very interesting. He was in the podcast dispelling a lot of myths about diet and weight loss, and he recommended that film, and I watched it, and it was was just very interesting. So if you have any interest in uh, getting a little healthier or changing up uh, your eating habits and making them a little bit better, or maybe uh, thinking about going into Lent with some type of um, food-type fast and maybe fasting from the foods that don't uh, make your body healthy, um, that might be a good thing to watch to get some education behind um, how that, that might be affecting you now and, and how, uh, you might be able to do that. So anyways, just to plug the pit is, um, for the past four or five days, something has been going on with my right hand. Um, some type of cramping inflammation, arthritis, maybe carpal tunnel, something. And I've been hoping it was going away, but it's just getting worse and worse to the point now where I can't like open things or, or pick things up that are really heavy with my right hand which is kind of scary because that's my dominant hand, and especially for playing guitar, which I do a lot. Um, I can do pretty much everything with both hands, Um, even writing. I'm pretty decent with my left hand. I always just liked practicing things with both hands. But playing guitar, you need both hands. And luckily, my right hand is the less necessary one, like it's the one that has the least amount of shifting. Uh, but I do a lot of finger picking and that is all, you know, right hand stuff. So just pray for my hand and healing for it. I really don't know what's going on. Um, and it's really just kind of really uncomfortable and painful. Um, most things that I, I do on just a daily basis. So I'm um, trying not to irritate it and, um, get the inflammation down on my own. And if I can't, then I'm going to go to the doctor in the next uh, couple couple days or get an appointment. So anyways, pray for me for that. Uh, and my peak, which kind of uh, is leading into what I want to do this episode, is that over the past week or two, I've been able to have like a lot of just really good and much needed conversations with some people very close to me in my life. 
either about things that I just needed to talk about with them or um, very specifically in a couple of them, just about our relationship and um, just what I need out of that relationship. Uh, And so that's what I want to talk about in this episode because I found those conversations as difficult as they were leading up to them and not wanting to hurt feelings or say the wrong thing or like the temptation to rehearse over and over again in my head what I wanted to say. Um, I was in spiritual direction and really feeling like um, very kind of hollow in a lot of my relationships and um, very alone and very, um, I don't know, uh, like I wasn't being cared for or cared about. And um, obviously, I knew that that wasn't the reality, but it was just how I was experiencing those relationships, how I was perceiving them. But it had been happening for such a long time in some of them that I really needed to just sit down and talk about it with those people. And it all happened kind of in some of my main relationships all in the same day, just because it was so fresh on my mind from spiritual direction. But it was so good. And it wasn't as near as difficult as I made it out to be in my head. No one was hurt. No one was offended. It was just a good conversation. And so I want to ask you, as you're reflecting on this, and we're going to get into other things that, that I kind of want to talk about. There's a lot of little podcast suggestions we've, we've gotten and a lot of things that are on my mind this week that all have to do with responding in different relationships and, and different situations that might happen in people we're in relationship with. But I think a lot of it just stems from this idea, a lot of what I want to talk about stems from this idea of what is the need? Do you, in your relationships, feel like your needs are being met? And I know as as Christians and as people who want to be caring and emulate Jesus in our relationships, we can very easily tend to just give too much and not not be vocal about what we really want or really need because we don't want to appear selfish or greedy or anything like that. Um, but I think it's necessary because if you if you don't, you start to breed contempt in your heart or unforgiveness in your heart or even resentment for people uh, that are close to you. And uh, no one knows what you need unless you tell them. And you cannot, they cannot read your mind, even if you feel like you're strongly Im- implying or they should know, um, it really helps to just say it directly and out loud, even if you think they should know, because no one perceives things the same, and it's no one's responsibility to be able to read anyone else's mind. And yet when we get really close to people, sometimes I think we feel that way. And I was getting to that point, too, where I felt like I was communicating in subtle ways or in repeated ways, but I wasn't just coming right out and saying, this is what I'm perceiving, um, and this is how it's affecting me, and this is what I need. And not being accusatory and saying, you did this to me, you did this to me, you do this, you do this, but saying, I feel, using I statements, I feel like this in our relationship, but I really need this. And, um, and to just have a conversation like that, um, because relationships are two-sided and we need to be able to talk about our needs. And, um, you know, I, I, whenever I'm talking about the Eucharist or relationship with God or, um, or things like that, I always use marriage as the image to, or the analogy to best understand those relationships, because that's what the catechism says. It says, you know, marriage is a foretaste of heaven, of our unity with God. But I think that that can also be um, 
a, a version of how we can look to other relationships as well. Not to say that all of our, any of our other relationships should ever be to the degree of closeness um, that we have with the person that we're married to. We have to have, obviously, proper boundaries. But I think, um, you know, we, at least in marriage preparation in our church, and in a lot of what's out there in marriage and family therapy and things like that, um, there's so much talk about communication, and so much marriage advice is about communication. Um, but what does that really look like? You know, I can talk and talk and talk, but if I'm talking in ways that are all just about me yelling about my perceptions or getting very frustrated that I'm perceiving things in a certain way, but I'm not really talk t- saying what my need is to the other person, then I'm being kind of unfair or just assuming that the other person um, is just doing something wrong on purpose. And I think when we take a step back, we know that the people who are really close to us, they're not, they don't have evil intentions for us. They're not like waking up in the morning thinking about how can I wreck Matt's day? Like how can I make Matt feel like I don't care about him or I don't love him? Like nobody's doing that. But for some reason, I'm, per, I'm, I'm repeatedly perceiving it that way. And it might have to do with, do you know your love language? Do I know my love language and the love language of the people around me? And often the way we express love is not always in the same language as the way we prefer to receive love as well. So it's good to know how you tend to give love and how you tend to receive love and affirmation. Is it words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, acts of service, or um, quality time? And uh, knowing like, well, I really like to receive it this way, but I also like to give it more so in this way. Um, And knowing that about yourself and trying to have those conversations with the people that are around you or getting a sense of what it might be. Um, you know, sitting down and like, you know, what's your love language might feel very like robotic and like you're reducing your relationship to like, what's the correct action for me to take with you, you know? So it might just be trial and error. You can try them all and see which one seems the most fruitful and, um, and then go from there. Um, but always thinking about what is the need Am I, am I expressing my need in my relationships? Am I telling my spouse, my boyfriend, girlfriend, my friends, my family, um, I really need some support in this way? Or um, I'm feeling really strained in our relationship and I, I just really need to get coffee with you once a week. Can we like, can we make that work? Because I just really need that for just like an hour or two, once a week, I just need to sit down with you and just have some time for us to share and talk. And not just me, but I just want to be with you for that time. And not become victim of the schedules and schedule it later, but to really schedule with our priorities in mind. I need to schedule the things that matter most first. And so thinking about when I'm going to pray and have that quality time, but also when I'm going to have that quality time with the people that um, you know I'm trying to honor my vocation with. So my my family, or if I'm married, my spouse, um, you know, those people who I'm in close community with um, and that I need, and then scheduling everything else. Instead of being victim of the to-do list and then getting home and exhausted and those relationships are getting the last of our energy and our effort, um, that's not fair to us and that's not fair to them. And so uh, who, who in your life do you really need to be more connected to? What, which of your relationships do you feel is strained or not working, or you feel like um, you're always giving and not getting anything back. Uh, Because I find most often in my relationships when I feel that way, when I feel like, man, I'm giving a lot and I'm not getting anything back, it's because I'm expecting to get a certain thing back and I'm not noticing the other ways that person's giving back. Um, And so I tend to um, be very 
cognizant of small things. Like if I ask someone close to me, like, hey, can you do this small thing for me? Um, my timeline for small things is very quick because I'm a very task-oriented person. And so I just unknowingly and unconsciously expect that other person to be able to, to do that thing for me um, or reply to that need that I have quickly. And when they don't, and I'm kind of feeling like I have, I have to hound them for it, um, I perceive that as I'm not cared about. When in reality, we just haven't had that conversation about like your timeline's different than my timeline. Um, and, you know, to me, I might see that small thing. If someone's face, faithful in small things, I can trust them with bigger things. Whereas other people might just be like, okay, this isn't a big thing. So I'm going to make sure I'm getting all my big important things done and the small things will come later. Those are both very valid ways of looking at the world, but if one person is in each camp and is trying to interact with the other, it's going to be very difficult for one or both of them to feel like validated in the relationship if they haven't talked about that and realized that about each other. Uh, and so I want you really to think about what your need is in a lot of your relationships and how to express that. Um, but another thing that has been coming up recently um, is, well, apart from expressing the need, is how do we deal with um, maybe that resentment or that contempt or that unforgiveness when it comes up. Um, there's this really cool thing that I, um, and I wrote it in, um, when this podcast comes out, I think it's going to be last week's Psalm Reflection. And if you didn't know this on our Instagram and on our website, there's a weekly blog that goes up on Tuesdays. That's a reflection on the responsorial Psalm for that upcoming Sunday's Mass. Um, and it's just a paragraph and it just has a little reflection and maybe a challenge for you to kind of think about throughout the week. And I want to encourage you to go look at those as just another way to continue to grow in your faith life. Um, but in last week's, I talked about how in Old Testament Hebrew culture, there was this idea that if you sinned against God, you went to God and you asked for forgiveness. And they would do that through ritual cleansing or sacrifice, uh, through prayer, through acts of penitence and things like that. Um, but when you sinned against somebody else, you didn't go to God or to the temple to make a sacrifice. Um, only in very rare situations was that necessary. Most often, um, even if there was a sacrificial element that you needed to do, you always were meant to go to that person and ask them for forgiveness. And you would do that because there was an idea that, you know, us as a community, a religious community, and a community that lives in proximity to each other, we have a responsibility to one another. Uh, and Mother Teresa uh, once said, if we've lost our peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to one another. And it's that idea that we belong to each other and that this unforgiveness affects the entire community. And as Christians, we would say it affects the body of Christ. And so you would go to your neighbor and you would ask for forgiveness. But once you went three times, if that third time your neighbor did not forgive you, there was an understanding in Hebrew culture that your responsibility to that person um, in asking for forgiveness was now lifted. And now the, uh, the unforgiveness now dwelled with that other person because they were harboring resentment and unforgiveness in their heart in an unrepentant way. And that responsibility or that burden now goes upon them because they weren't willing to forgive. And so I think that, I don't know, it just speaks to something that's very um, needed in a lot of people I've been talking to or a lot of experiences I've been having of just recognizing the need for forgiveness um, and the need to reconcile with others and not just... 
uh, feel like I can pray about it and move on, or I can go to confession and move on, or I can just get that person out of my life and move on, that all these things have a ripple effect within our communities, the body of Christ, the world. And I think the reason that we're dealing with such um, division in media, in our country, in politics, in opinions, in families, is because we've become so self-focused with social media and technology and things like that. But also, um, well, when you're self-focused on those things, you can sit behind a screen and you don't really see how your comments can affect other people. You can kind of detach yourself from the emotion of a situation. And so that can be very um, dangerous because then we can all of a sudden just start um, attacking one another with no feel of like the consequences because we're protected um, by this barrier uh, of a screen. And I think another reason um, why this division um, has happened is because we're not seeing the, the responsibility of us as a community of people. Um, and so we just tend to look very like, what do I want? What is, what do I need? And because our culture is becoming less and less religion, religious and more and more secular, people don't realize, but they are looking for Jesus or for Messiah, for a savior in other things. So people look for a savior in their work and they get very career oriented. Like this is going to make me happy. People every election season look to the political candidates as messianic figures. That's why their entire past history is brought under scrutiny. And any moment of imperfection is brought into the light and seen as this like terrible thing. When we're all imperfect, no one would want that for themselves. No one would come up there with a clean record if, if anyone dug into our pasts um, hard enough, you know, or deeply enough. And so, um, you know, not trying to say anything about favorability or unfavorability of any of the candidates, but just saying like that happens, like notice how that happens every election season. And to, to maybe be cautious of how we play into it, because if we're not looking for Jesus in the right place, um, and if we're just looking for him in a very self-focused way, this is what I want, what I stand for, what I'm looking for, then we can very quickly forget about our brothers and sisters around us and division begins to um, be bred in our communities. Instead of being able to just sit and reconcile with someone, um, you know, I talked about some of this in the Words of Wisdom episode that I did recently. Um, You know, a lot of things along the lines of every single person you encounter has something to teach you. Um, or we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. And to recognize nobody stands for something politically or religiously because they think it's the wrong thing or because they think it's evil or because they hate other people. But out of their religious understanding, which the intentions are most often 99% of the time good, in my experience, sometimes our perception of how that's being said or the actions that come with it can be misperceived because we're not recognizing, okay, what's the intention behind this? Someone probably isn't going to stand up passionately for what they believe in if they think it's bad or if they think it's wholeheartedly evil. So maybe I'm just not understanding their intentions. And if so, I can, if I can sit across from someone and say, you know, teach me or tell me about why you think that and let's have a conversation, um, There's a sense of, I know what the need is now. I know what my need is. 
um, I need to understand this other person as a brother and sister in Christ or as someone else on this earth that I want to respect who's made in the image and likeness of God. And Jesus dwells within them. And some people, it's harder to dig to find Jesus, but he's in there for every single person you meet, every single person in your family, he's in there. And so are we having that recognition um, in the way that we encounter other people? Are we expressing that need in our conversations? I need to understand you or I desire to understand where you're coming from because you're a person and your intentions are probably good. Um, I might see them as misplaced, but maybe I don't understand them. Um, and I need to know that, you know, there's a there's an understanding here. There's a common ground here. We're both humans. Um, and so just having that ability to do that. And, and so I think another way that this idea of need uh, can come is when, um, when it gets to a point where there, there can't be reconciliation. Um, you know, so how do you heal? How do you move on um, from situations that maybe were very evil or very abusive or situations where reconciliation is just not possible because of how grave or heinous the action against you was, or maybe that person is not even around, alive, um, or even of sound mind, or of good, of a good-hearted nature to be able to have that reconciliation with. How do you heal? How do you move on? Um, or after a loss or something like that, that's a similar type of thing. There's this, this void of intimacy, this scar of, you know, I wanted to trust or understand or um, be near this person, and then all of a sudden they did or said this thing that really hurt me. And so how do we heal from that? How do we move on? Well, I think for me, having someone like a spiritual director, someone who's outside who I can talk about my need to um, and can kind of guide me to see how I can find that or communicate that is so helpful to have. Because uh, you may you you may never have healing directly from the person that you are having a struggle in a relationship with, or from someone who hurt you, but you can have healing still by talking about it with someone, or by vocalizing it, or helping yourself understand what happened, or um, what the difficulty in that relationship is. And without my spiritual director and without that conversation, I probably wouldn't have been able to see the imminent need I, I had to be able to have those conversations. Or I wouldn't have been able to um, really vocalize what was going on because I just, I wasn't thinking about me. I w I'm very used to just looking outward and helping other people as a minister. That's just something I've become very accustomed to. Um, and youth ministry is, can tend to be a thankless job or a job where people expect you to just do things. And you're not very well uh, cared for by others or for yourself. Sometimes you can get taken advantage of or just expected to do certain things uh, and not very thanked or supported um, or, um, yeah, by anyone. And, and we can do that to ourselves too. Uh, youth ministers are very bad at self-care often of like taking that time to step aside and say no and say, no, I, I can't do everything. I can't say yes to everything. I can't be present to everyone because I need to take care of myself. And so uh, maybe if you're struggling with healing or moving on from a relationship where that need is not being met or from a hurt that you can't have that reconciliation from, you can't go face to face with them or they're the ones that really, um, you know, need to ask um, your forgiveness, but they're not, you know, they're just like fine that they hurt you in the way that they did. 
um, it still does help to recognize I have a need for this forgiveness and to vocalize it to someone uh, and to vocalize it especially in prayer um, to kind of allow yourself to trust Jesus with that because Jesus very well has been in that position before. You know, he was on the cross looking at all these people who decided to put him there and still died for those people and never had an opportunity, at least on earth, to go up to them or to forgive them. Uh, or Well, he forgave them, but those some of those people didn't ever come to him and say, oh, this was Jesus, you know, this is who he says he was, or Jesus, please forgive me, you know. Maybe in their hearts they did later, but like he didn't, Jesus didn't get the recognition of that from everybody that rejected him or from everybody that put him there. And yet still he chose to forgive. Still he chose to do that. And yes, yeah, Jesus is perfect. I know that. Um, and we can't possibly rise to that level of perfection that he had on earth, but we can still strive to emulate him. You know, we're supposed to be Christians. That means the little Christs, you know. So as best we can to emulate that desire, that need to forgive others, even if we're never going to receive that validation back that, um, that they want that forgiveness or that they desire it. But it's a healing thing sometimes to let go of it. There was one thing I shared in that Words of Wisdom podcast where someone was talking to um, a young man about his father having abandoned him as a child and how angry and mad that he was at him. And he said, do you think your father feels your anger? And he said, no, probably not. And the therapist or the person counseling him said, yes, but you do. You feel it every single day. And that's not fair to you. So maybe you don't need to forgive your dad for his sake, but you need to forgive him for your sake because you deserve not to experience that every day. And so to recognize, like, I have the right to move on. Like, I, I, I shouldn't have to be dealing with this. And I may never have closure. I may never have um, the words from that person that I need, but I don't deserve to be harboring this and letting it affect me continually. Um, you know, if there's something you really need to talk out with a professional, go to grief counseling, trauma counseling, see a therapist. Um, another thing that has really helped uh, in my life or in people that I counsel's lives is uh, write that person a letter. You don't ever need to send it, but just write them a letter just really from your heart saying, this is what I feel. This is what you did or said did to me, or this is what I really need from you. Uh, this is what I really need from our relationship. And to be able to put it all on the table with the understanding that I never have to send this. I just want to get all of this out of my system and be able to be satisfied in knowing that I can have it or I can give it to someone close to me to read or a spiritual director or a therapist. And it can be a very healing process to allow me to move on. And lastly, like when we experience a real episode of trauma or grief or loss or hurt in our life, um, there is no back to normal. It's just kind of like back to different, you know, like, and anyone who's lost someone very close to them will know this or who's been very, um, you know, hurt in such a way that like their, their outlook on relationships or the world has shifted. You never get back to how you were before that. It always, you carry it with you. But it can be something that you carry with you to help others or to inform your future relationships and to say, okay, God, like despite the heinous nature of this or despite not having this person or not getting what I needed out of or wanted out of this relationship, I can still carry that knowledge with me for myself into the future. And maybe I can even 
talk about it and help other people who struggle with that and share that experience because most people aren't willing to be vulnerable initially with it, but they probably need to hear that someone relates to where they're at. Um, there's always something that God can do um, to use this. Um, I, I heard recently um, someone uh, someone was telling a story about a hurt that they had in their life. I, I can't remember if I was listening to a podcast or reading an article or something, but someone close to, the, to them said, um, do not waste this pain. Do not waste this pain. And that was a very profound moment for them because they kind of realized like there is there can be purpose brought out of this. I can make this into something new. Just like after every crucifixion, there is a resurrection moment. And just after Jesus' crucifixion, there was resurrection. After any moment where we feel intense suffering or death in our life, there is another part to that story. There is hope. There is resurrection. There's transformation possible. Um, but if we're so focused and stuck in Good Friday at the pain and the loss of that, we'll never experience Easter. It's why we don't have Lent all year, because otherwise we'd be stuck in Lent and we wouldn't appreciate Easter. Uh, and so those small Lenten Easter moments happen daily or, or you know, regularly in our lives in bigger ways, um, less often in bigger ways, but they still happen. And so... Um, being able to ask yourself, what do I need to be able to heal, to move on, and to communicate that to someone and to seek it out in the ways that you are able, in prayer and your relationships and therapeutic methods of writing it out um, and, and things like that. Um, and another way I think that this, um, the, the final way I kind of want to talk about that this need idea manifests is uh, another podcast suggestion we've had for a while but it's kind of been on my heart for a long time because this just these things happen all the time is how to respond to tragedy or to tragic situations that we aren't directly involved in because if we're involved in it we're in the midst of it um, we can maybe recognize our need or the needs of the people around us and kind of take some actions but if you're a third party and there's some world tragedy there's some um, death in someone else's family that you know but you didn't know the person and it, it hasn't really affected you um, there's kind of this tendency to just say our thoughts and prayers are with you or let me know if you need anything. Um, you know, I'm very sorry for your loss. That's kind of the textbook uh, Christian thing to do, right? And um, I don't know, that can be very um, shallow of an offering uh, for someone else. And sometimes it just might not be appropriate. You can tell that the family um, doesn't want to really be... Um, I don't know if bothered's the right word, but some people tend to experience grief in a very close clustered or very intimate way with just the people who are involved. They don't want the attention because it can kind of make it worse or more painful um, because it's constantly shedding light on it even when they're not prepared to deal with it. But I think for the most part, if you, especially if you know them well enough or you can find someone who knows them well enough, to be able to recognize what are some of their needs um, not just not to put the burden on the other person and say, okay, I'm praying for you. Okay, A, in the midst of grief and, and uh, sorrow and loss and thing, life still having to continue and bills still needing to be paid, prayers are probably not going to be felt. It doesn't mean that they're not important. You should probably, you, not probably, you should definitely pray for them. Um, but I think there's a way that these things can be done that's more meaningful. Um, and so to not say, hey, what, let me know what you need, because that puts the burden on the other person. 
but to say, um, I'm going to pay for someone to come and clean your house. Um, I'm going to make a sign-up genius so some people can get together and drive your kids to school. Uh, and I'm going to bring you a hot meal uh, tomorrow night. And um, I'm going to, you know, let me know if you have a spare key somewhere or find a way to get in there or drop it somewhere. I'll put it in the freezer um, and you can just use that when you need it. Uh, to take the initiative to meet the needs that every person has. Everyone needs to eat. Everyone needs to run errands, get their kids to school, do laundry, do cleaning. We all need to do those things. And in the midst of tragedy, those everyday chores and errands can seem impossible. And especially if you have young kids and you're trying to manage caring and uh, caring for the kids, childcare, you know, rides to school, all that stuff, and actually being there with the kids in the midst of this tragedy if they've been affected by it is something that's really difficult. And so, um, you know, being able to actually just like, you know what, this is a resource or a thing that I can do that um, I want to do for you. And I'm just going to do it and <laughs> not to not to wait for the invitation or permission. I don't know a single person in my experience who when someone some tragedy has happened in their life and I've said, let me know what you need if there's anything I can do. If they've responded with, actually, I need this, this and this, if you could go do that. Most people are not that self-aware or don't want to feel like a burden to other people. Um, and so they won't. Um, and, and most often in the midst of those terrible moments, people don't have clear heads to even think about the practical things. They're thinking about like, how do I get through this, you know, massively emotional, um, traumatic experience of loss or this event that happened. And so to respond with some type of need, um, not to just say, I'm going to pray for you, but to call them and, and pray with them on the phone. And if they don't pick up, to pray over their voicemail so they can hear it and they can hear the power of the words of your prayer. Um, to do that with other people, you know, and not just say when you get that notification that someone just passed away or something just happened, to drop what you're doing with the people that you're with and just say like, hey, I don't know if any of you guys pray, but I just heard this happened and I'm, I'd like to pray for these people. Would you mind joining me? Um, you don't have to say anything, but just like being silent for a moment so we can offer this moment for these people. Um, something that's tangible and real and not just empty words. Um, and even if they're not empty, something that really like invites real relationship into this space of pain or this space of loss. Um, maybe uh, writing notes or letters to them of encouragement, affirmation, saying we're here for you. Uh, if someone's in the hospital, been in the hospital for a while, like getting a group to write cards uh, and dropping them off and not putting the burden on someone else to come pick them up or figure out how to get them to that person or creating something like a video, um, you know, saying, hey, you know, praying with them over that video. Um, if someone... Um, lost someone in their family, like just being able to maybe collect all the pictures and memories you have of that person um, if you're close to the family and making them a little scrapbook or a little video for them um, just to show how much you appreciated the life and the memory of that person can be very meaningful. Um, and I think something that happens pretty often with, especially with loss when people die unexpectedly or when there's um, tragedies or miscarriages or things like that that happen in people's lives is um, people, even very, <clears throat> um, very intentional people will be with them kind of in the, in the beginning, maybe that first few weeks or month. And then life goes on for everybody else and nobody ever really brings it up again, maybe rarely, like maybe a few months later, hey, how are you doing with that? But to actively put reminders in your phone, you know, a month out, two months out, three months out, that year anniversary, um, and making sure that you are remembering 
how important um, and life-changing, even if it was a very destructive or traumatic moment for that person, um, how life-changing that was and that you're still thinking about them constantly and that they're not alone a year later, like life hasn't gone on. That for me, when I lost my best friend, that was really the most painful thing, I think, was that everyone was there present to the grieving for the first week or two, but then after that, everyone went back to normal. And like I said before, I couldn't go back to normal. I just went back to different. And it was very painful to see that after a couple weeks, it just seemed to me, which it probably wasn't the reality, but it seemed to me people were just very quick to move on and be like, okay, we just need to get past this. Even though nobody vocally said that, you know, it was just my own pain uh, perceiving it that way. But because no one was really being present to me uh, in that way outside, who had been outside of the situation, it kind of felt like we were, my group of friends, we were just experiencing it in our own little world. And then the world went on, and so we were expected to go on. And um, and that can be really difficult. And especially when with that group of friends of mine, we all um, kind of, I think, dealt with it in different ways. Um, and, and a lot of them were like, I need to go do this. I need to go, myself included. I needed to go on kind of a spiritual journey to figure out you know, what my purpose still was here because I was with my best friend when he died and um, I very easily could have been reversed. Um, and so really asking myself, well, what am I still doing here? What, what's, what's so important about my life that I'm still here? Um, and that was very self-focused. And, and so making sure that I not only was being present to my friends in the way that we needed it, but um, it would have been probably a lot more helpful if people around me um, had been more conscious of that um, and and had expressed value at his life uh, and memory of it um, with more care. And I know that puts a lot on other people, and I'm not, I, I don't say that that should be the norm, but I think it can make a difference, a huge difference, when people um, actively just be present to you in the way that you're grieving as best they can. Um, we all remember death anniversaries or anniversaries of losses, um, and it just means a lot. Um, it means it shows how much people care about us in our own um, grieving process if they're remembering those things too. Um, and so, something that you can do, and there's all you know, you can use Sign Up Genius or GoFundMe pages to get people involved to do meals or to raise money for funeral costs and things like that. But um, the ongoing support is going to be much more necessary once the, the it's about a 60-day period that most grief counselors say is, is the, the grief processing time where your mind's not thinking straight and you're really just consumed with this event that happened. It's on average about 60 days until your brain starts to kind of begin to process a little bit more normally um, and kind of go to that back to different stage. Um, and only then can you begin to have more of a sound mind to get back to the reality of life and start to make more, you know, practical everyday decisions about things. Um, and so, um, yes, we need to be present to people in that, in that 60 day period with their immediate needs, but that emotional and relational follow up later on, um, I think is, is equally important, um, to recognize their need and to ask ourselves if I was in that situation or if I have been in that situation, what did I need? What needs were met in a really beautiful and powerful way and what needs weren't met and what would I have preferred happen? Um, and so, I don't know, I'll, 
there's a lot of random things, but I think they're kind of tied together with this idea of need and communicating uh, in our relationships what that need is. And sometimes that um, we just we need to do it in a different way. We need to really assess: am I am I really giving the other person the benefit of the doubt and and communicating with them and saying, you know. I know you're my friend. I know you care about me. I'm, I'm not going to assume anymore that you're doing any of these things to hurt me. But if I don't communicate my need, that's kind of disrespectful to you because I'm just letting you continue to do that. And um, that's not fair to you either, you know. And so recognizing um, how healthy and beneficial for you both it can be. I think sometimes, especially um, if you have someone in, that you're in a relationship with that's a different personality style than you or is more sensitive than you or more emotional than you, we can tend to um, step back in, in the real truth of what we want to say. When in reality, you can just say like, um, look, I need to talk to you about our relationship and I, I'm asking you right now not to interpret this as you did something terrible or wrong or you're a bad friend or a bad person. I know that you love me. I know that you care about me, um, but I just need to talk about this. Um, with you and see what you think about it Um, because I love you and I care about you. And I think if you can preface conversations like that, um, that you have some kind of worry about how it might be perceived, then that can make a big difference in how they're going to respond to it. And I'm speaking of like my recent experience doing that myself uh, in some of these conversations that I was able to have. Um, And so um, the patron saint, this is probably the easiest patron saint that I've ever had to select because um, of all these situations and relationships, especially when it feels like impossible, desperate, hopeless. Um, if you're a good Catholic, you probably already know, uh, or you know the saints at all, you probably know those words are um, key to uh, the patronage of St. Jude. Um, St. Jude, one of the 12 apostles, the OGs, um, his feast day is October 28th. And he's considered the patron saint of desperate causes, the impossible, uh, desperate situations, lost causes, things like that. Um, And I think in the midst of relationships, when we're really dealing with this, it can feel like I don't know what to do. I don't want to talk about it and make it worse and really break this relationship, but I can't, things can't stay the same. And if um, a lot of people aren't very equipped in communication skills as we used to be maybe a couple generations ago because of technology. And it can be difficult to sit face-to-face with someone um, and just have any conversation, let alone a difficult one. That can seem impossible. And so I think asking for the intercession of St. Jude in these situations is really, really important. Um, So St. Jude, he's also known as Thaddeus. He was a brother of James the Lesser um, and and a relative of Jesus, probably cousins of his. Um, and so he's sometimes um, attributed um, as, as having a club or um, a flame around his head or sometimes holding a book or a scroll um, because he um, has been attributed the epistle of Jude uh, in the Bible. And, um, and also because of some of the content in there, um, a carpenter's ruler as well, or, um, which is like a, a you know, measuring rod, which has to do with the canon of Scripture, things like that. Um, they, uh, a lot of biblical scholars um, agree that he was um, the son of Mary, um, wife of Clopas, which is one of the Marys that is mentioned. Um, Mary Magdalene, Mary, wife of Clopas, Mary, the Blessed Mother, um, are three of the most common. Um, and then uh, Martha and Mary. Um, and uh, they think Mary, the wife of Clopas, was um, the mother. Uh, those were the parents of uh, James the Lesser and Jude. Um, and so... 
that is uh, really interesting. And so um, after uh, Jesus' death, a lot of the church fathers report, um, specifically Eusebius reports that um, J- Jude um, preached around the Jerusalem, Syria, Mesopotamia area, even maybe down to North Africa, um, returned to Jerusalem um, to uh, oversee uh, or assist with the election of his other brother, St. Simeon, uh, as Bishop of Jerusalem. Um, but that he ended up probably somewhere in uh, like Armenia or Beirut um, and brought the gospel up there, which is interesting because in the other rites of the church, there's about like 21 different um, rites besides the, the Roman rite in Catholicism that are all um, part of the Catholic Church. They're all, um, they all believe the same things. They just practice uh, their liturgies differently. One of the biggest is the Armenian rite, and um, they believe, uh, and all of the rites can be traced to one of the original apostles, um, and normally also one of the the, the five um, patriarchies of the early church, or five um, patriarchs that were stationed in five key cities um, in Rome, um, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. And so I don't know which one specifically the Armenians. I think theirs is is one of the um, the Syriac rites, so probably Jerusalem or Antioch. But um, Jude is, is attributed, um, and Simon the Zealot, uh, those two, as being the ones who brought the gospel to that region initially, um, even though um, St. Gregory, uh, one of the St. Gregory's, uh, is considered the apostle to the Armenians. Um, Jude may have very well been historically with um, Simon the Zealot, um, the, the first to bring Christianity to that region. Um, so people don't really know exactly where he died, uh, but they do believe he was martyred um, and in that region. Um, and following his death, his body was brought to Rome, and it was left in a crypt um, in St. Peter's Basilica. So his bones can be found there um, in, um, in St. Peter's under the main altar of um, St. Joseph. And he shares a tomb um, with the other apostle, Simon the Zealot, who he, who he traveled with. Um, and the reason he is um, called the patron of the impossible or desperate cases is because um, there's some uh, allusion, um, yeah, allusions to that or inferences to that in his, in the letter of Jude, when he encourages um, the Jews who he was writing to, who were dealing with a lot of heresies, um, to um, persevere in the even in the environments of very harsh or difficult circumstances or incredible persecution, just as their forefathers had. Um, but also because um, two saints, uh, St. Bridget of Sweden and St. Bernard, both had visions um, uh, from God asking them to uh, accept St. Jude as the patron saint of the impossible. And so um, because of that dual uh, kind of verification or those dual visions um, of both those saints, um, that happened. And so uh, a lot of the things that St. Jude has been the patron of are... um, revolve around that. And so um, Chicago Police Department, um, the Rio soccer team, um, several hospitals like St. Jude's Hospital um, um, in uh, uh, Research Hospital in Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, um, has taken on that name. Um, And a lot of different shrines and and things like that um, attributed to him, um, which is amazing because he has very few references directly to him in scripture, and um, they're, they're pretty minimal. Um, there's one in Luke 6, 16, uh, one in Acts 1, 13, um, and one potentially in John 14, 22, and that's pretty much it. Um, and Matthew 10, 3 and Mark three eighteen, when the apostles are listed, 
but he's listed as Thaddeus. And a lot of people think because um, his name was so close to Judas the Iscariot, they didn't want people to confuse his name. So he was given the nickname Thaddeus or later also named Thaddeus so people could um, kind of delineate between the two and not have any type of confusion. But there's also a Thaddeus in the list of the 70 disciples um, of Edessa. Um, and so there's there's kind of confusion sometimes as to who is this Jude that they're talking about um, because it, it was um, derivative of a more common name and there are duplicates of that name um, or versions of duplicates of that name uh, in a lot of different lists of um, groups in the early church, including the apostles. So, um, yeah, so we don't know too much about him beyond that, but that is why he's given that attribute and, um, you know, a great... Uh, saint to ask for the intercession of. Um, A lot of times things, not even in relationships, but things in life can just seem impossible or desperate, and it's good to just have that go-to person. Um, And so shout out also to my mother-in-law, Kathy, because um, St. Jude is like her favorite uh, saint. So I think that's our 30th shout out um, to the mom-in-law. So um, Anyways, I hope that this this uh, podcast has been beneficial to you and helps you in your relationships. Maybe some conversations you need to have or helps shed light on maybe some unforgiveness in your heart or how you can be more present to people in your life, especially those who might be going through a difficult situation and how you can better express your need in a lot of the relationships and friendships that you have in your own life because you deserve it and you don't have to just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you have to let yourself be walked over or... Um, let yourself be exhausted for the sake of others. Um, just like I said in that Words of Wisdom uh, episode, um, you don't need to set yourself on fire to keep others warm. Uh, it's more about recognizing where the warmth is and drawing other people to it so that you can stay warm, but you can also do it with other people. Um, and so that warmth is Christ and in his love and mercy. And so the way that we can really personify that and live that out in our relationships is by being honest and expressing that love in conversations that need to happen. Because um, very rarely are things that are really worth doing in life the easiest thing to do. And so uh, these might be difficult conversations, but they absolutely should be happening. And I want to encourage you. And if you need any advice on how to approach maybe some of these difficult situations or conversations you need to have with people close to you, um, please know that you can reach out to us in confidence. Um, we won't, you know, share that with anyone. We just want to help and be of service to you. And so you can uh, get a hold of us directly um, at our website. You can email us there. Um, and then you can always get a hold of us and see um, all of those uh, weekly psalm reflections as well on our Instagram and on our website. Our Instagram is at manafoodforthought, our website manafoodforthought.com, uh, on which you can also become a financial donor to our podcast for as little as a dollar a month. And that helps go a long way to help more people find out about this podcast and uh, help us to um, save a lot of those donations to get enough for some merchandise, which will be soon to come. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope this was beneficial to you. And uh, pray for Jenna on her trip. She'll be back hopefully by our next episode. And until then, uh, we're praying for you, and we'll see you in the Eucharist. God bless you guys. Bye.